Welcome to the Table Leadership Podcast, where everyone is invited to pull up a seat, and all leaders have a voice to contribute to the conversation. We're glad you could join us today. And now, your host, Sian Edgerton. Sound good? Awesome. Well, thank you. Welcome, everybody. So excited to have my good, good friend Shanika House here. And uh, if you have been listening to the Table Podcast from the beginning, then you will have also heard her husband not too long ago, Chris House. And so now (laughs) I get to have his, uh, can I say his better half? I shouldn't say his better half. I get to have his... (laughs) suited, (laughs) amazing, talented, gifted wife as well, which is one of these days, I just need to have both of y'all on together. That would be fun. That would be fun. Lots of laughs, I'm sure. Yes, there would be. But anyways, hi, Nika. Thanks for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. So excited to be here with you. I miss your face. I know. I miss you too. I I realized when I started doing this podcast after I moved, you know, all the way across the country and a lot of my guests are my people from back home. I'm like, oh, it makes me sad. (laughs) I miss my people. I do. But it's nice. Every time I do one of these uh, podcast recordings, it's like an opportunity to catch up with my people. So yes, absolutely. It's nice. It is. It's really good to see your beautiful face. And I know you said babies are napping, but if they do happen to wake up and interrupt the podcast, that'll be all right because you have literally the most beautiful babies. Oh, thank you. And they're so sweet. They're so, man, they're so full of Jesus. They are. I love them. That's probably outside of the gift that they are in general, the gift of them just really loving God from such an early age is just more than I could have ever asked for. Yeah. Well, and what a testament to y'all's parenting too. You know, I mean, yes, that's the Lord, but that is you guys being faithful and obedient and loving your babies and showing them the love of Jesus so well that you've made it tangible and appealing to them. I mean, from the womb. (laughs) I love it. That's what I, that's what I really need y'all to do is write a book. I need you and Chris to write a parenting book. Oh my gosh. But you know what? Don't say it too loud from your mouth to God's ears because it seems like every time somebody's like, you know, you should do. He's like, <clears throat> I'm like, <laughs> me. <laughs> well, I will. I will leave that between you and the Lord. <laughs> I can just see this beautiful blend of like parenting, worship, leadership, like the worship. Oh, the worshiping parent. There you go. Look at there. See, you know, Title and all. See how that happened. Please look, the Lord, Lord knows. Okay, anyways, anyways, I should probably let you introduce yourself to everybody before I carry on with my foolishness. So for everyone that doesn't know you and love you yet, like I do, but they will by the time our time today is over, um, just introduce yourself, tell our listeners who you are, what you do, a little bit about you and your family, all that good stuff. I am Shanika House. I am 37 years old. I am the wife of, as my sister said, Chris House. I have two amazing little girls, Reagan and Ryan. Um, I often find it difficult to tell people what I do because I feel like I do a little bit of everything. Um, But I am the 
what do you say, snowball of <laughs> um, a lot of things. I'm a snowball of a lot of things, but um, I'm an author. I love to write. I don't really consider myself a, a blogger, but I kind of use the term extended captioner. <laughs> I have a I have a platform called My Transparent Moments where I just share uh, my life and my heart as a mom and uh, how that relates to um, a relationship with God, our relationship with our children and how it makes me a better Christian, how it makes me a better daughter. Um, and so that is probably one of the things that I love the most. Um, and then I also mentor assistants under the umbrella of assistance to us to the assistants and that is probably it in a nutshell I guess that's that's a big nutshell <laughs> it's a big nutshell but thank you for cracking it open for us and I would <laughs> say if there are any parents listening especially moms I would strongly encourage you to check out um, and this will be in the show notes too so don't feel like you have to go do it right now but I would strongly encourage you to check out Shanika's platform my transparent moments um, I've you know I follow everything that you do I've been to your events and you've just got such an incredible heart not only for leadership and for walking in your calling, but also for parenting and especially for mothering. And you do such a good job of sharing that vulnerably and just letting people in to see, you know, what the fruit of hard, hard labor really looks like. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely encourage anybody listening that's got kids to check it out for sure. Um, and so, okay. So one of the first questions that I want to ask you, and I ask everybody this question, okay. it's the table podcast, right? So, and you know how much I love food and I love to eat. I was actually <laughs> thinking just the other day how badly I am craving some mango mango. Oh my goodness. Which for those of you that are listening, mango mango is basically heaven on a platter sent down to earth in the form of Neo soul, just amazing food. It is in Phoebus, Virginia, where which we got to hear all about Phoebus. Chris was very quick to let our listeners know where he was from, <laughs> proudly so. Um, but yeah, if you live anywhere near Phoebus, Virginia, or you ever happen to be traveling by Phoebus, Virginia, you have to go to Mango Mango. And I don't remember what happened, but just the other day, I was like, oh my gosh, I want some shrimp and grits from Mango Mango. <sighs> so bad. Because food is always on my mind. So the actual question is, uh, if we were sitting down with a group of leaders right now around a real table, if it wasn't virtual, if we were together in the same room where I could hug your beautiful face, and we were all actually sitting down to just invest in them and develop and encourage them, what would you be serving? What would you feed them? What's either your favorite dish or the thing that you make better than anybody else? Uh, what, what would you be feeding us if we were together right now? So the funny thing is, I'm not much of a cook, so I'm going to share what my favorite thing is because, okay. yeah, I don't know that I would want to serve you know, <laughs> people on that level food that I cook. Um, but rice, I love rice. I feel like I'm supposed to have it with every meal, with everything. I feel like it's a staple and not a side. So I would definitely bring rice. What kind of rice? White rice. Just I, lo I, rice. 
because I think it goes with everything. I laugh at myself often because when I went to, went out to college and um, the first time that I went home with a friend to their home and they had Sunday dinner, they didn't have rice. <laughs> and so I was looking at my, I was like, where's, where's, where's the rice? <laughs> and she was like, we don't, we don't have any, like they didn't cook any. I was like, y'all don't eat rice. Like we literally ate rice every day. Oh my goodness. So I was like, y'all, y'all don't eat rice every day. She was like, no, I literally thought everybody ate rice with everything. So I, oh my gosh, I love it. I love being rice. It's true though. You can do anything with rice. You can put anything on it. You can add anything to it. You know what I did the other day? Cause I didn't have noodles. I made spaghetti with rice. Wow. Like spaghetti sauce and everything. Uh-huh. And then I'd have noodles. I was like, well, I'm just going to make some rice. So you probably can't really call it spaghetti anymore. I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> uh, make up a name. You just invented a dish. Uh, yep, I did. I'm going to call it something. But yes, and it was amazing. So spaghetti sauce so with meat and everything, of course, served over rice. And it was fantastic. So nice. I'm I'm with you. Rice with everything. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good to know. If I come to eat with Nika, I'm going to be eating a big bowl. <laughs> Plain white rice. <laughs> That's great. I love it. Um, hence my need to, as we were discussing earlier, work out more. <laughs> Keep up with all this shrimp and cream. There we go. See? Rice. <laughs> really get to the gym. Anyways. Okay. So um, getting serious, which probably won't last for long, but that's okay. Um, so now that we know what you bring to the table food-wise, white rice. It's great. I love it. Um, what is it that you would say you bring to the table leadership-wise? Leadership-wise, I have two things that I would say that I bring, and that is servanthood and transparency. Mm, that's good. Okay, let's start with transparency first. Tell okay. me about that. What does that mean to you? Uh, let's just start with that. What, is, what does transparency mean to you? Why is it important? It... Um, It's important for me, I believe now in this phase of life, because I have seen the effects of my being transparent. It was hard for me at first because it was more of an assignment and I didn't really realize the gift that it was. Um, So I kind of fought against it a lot. Um, Just being led and feeling that unction to share parts of me that I had kept covered for so long and hidden for so long emotions that I didn't share for so long and really being nudged by Holy Spirit to share those. Um, at, interestingly enough, on social media, on a platform where so, you know, so many people have access to what I'm saying and have the ability to comment and feel whatever and, um, just be that open and vulnerable, it was horrifying. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And uh, after I really began to open up, not necessarily telling everything, but really being led by God on what to share and how to share it and seeing people being freed from things that they had been held captive to all of their lives. I was like, okay, this is bigger than me. This is not just me telling my business. This is not just me putting myself on front street. This is really a platform to um, lead the way in helping to free who 
X amount of people from things that, you know, the enemy has had them bound by and things they've been chained to for so long. Um, So bringing that transparency, bringing that openness and that, um, that, that just, uh, just being available to, to be out there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's just something that, as a leader has enabled people to trust me and trust my word and mm-hmm. um, just latch on to me and really believe for more for themselves. Yeah, that's good. Transparency does build trust. And you mentioned that some of the things that you really felt compelled to share about were things, um, circumstances, situations, emotions, whatever, that you had prior to that, you mentioned that you kept them covered up. And, and locked inside. Why was that? What, what, um, what prompted you prior to this revelation of transparency to kind of keep things private and covered? Um, appearance. Mm. Wanting to um, be seen a certain way in a certain light. I grew up without knowing my biological father. I didn't meet him until I was 21, 22 years old. And uh, only my immediate family knew that. And it was something that I never shared with close, you know, too many close friends. It was not just common knowledge. It was just something that I just kept um, to myself because I had people that I considered sisters. Um, I actually, interestingly enough, allowed a lot of people to think that um, another guy was my actual dad because I considered his his real daughter my sister. And so people like at college, they thought that we were actually blood sisters. And so I never shared that we actually were not related by blood because I just wanted, that was just something that I wanted to hold on to. So the appearance of, you know, not wanting to seem like this bastard child or to, you know, have to own up to feeling rejected and just so many things that I just, I didn't want to face and just didn't want people to to look at me in, in a certain light or even have pity on me, you know? Um, and so I just, I just never talked about it, yeah. never really shared it. And what did it take? What was the journey like for you to actually get to this place of, of wholeness and healing in your identity to where you could be obedient to that prompting to share and be transparent and actually be comfortable and confident doing that? What, what was some of the healing you had to walk out? Oh my gosh, a breaking of breaking. I remember um, one night in my apartment in college, I guess I was a a junior in college at the time. And there was this uh, DVD. We used to watch Fred Hammond DVDs. And well, actually it was a VHS at that point, VHS all the time. And there was this song that um, he sang. And I literally watched this tape a thousand times, knew all of the songs, all of the words, all of the ad-libs, there was nothing on here that could have caught me by surprise. And one night in my room watching the VHS and he sang the song, My Father Is. Know the song forwards, backwards. But for whatever reason that night when he sang it, something in me broke and I cried for hours and hours and hours. 
cried myself to sleep to the point where I got to class the next day. I could barely see because my eyes were almost swollen shut. Oh my gosh. And I was like, what in the earth is going on with me? Because I honestly felt like I never cared that I didn't know my biological father because I never really felt like I was lacking anything. Mm -hmm. I had uncles and my dad who has been there since I was about 10 years old is a phenomenal person. And I do not believe that I could have been given better if I had to go back and choose to be absent from my biological father in order to have him be in place all over again. I wouldn't change a thing because he's just that amazing. So I didn't feel like I lacked anything. So I never, I didn't care that he wasn't there. It wasn't like, you know, I had this big, huge void that I needed feeling or anything. And so I was just kind of good with it. So to really have been broken that way and have to deal with things that I didn't even really know, you know, or I guess under the surface, just kind of working or brewing or what have you, it was just, it took me by storm and then it was incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, and so after that, that weekend, I was just like, well, I'm going to look for him. You know, apparently it's something that I need to connect, you know, to find out. And I started having all of these identity questions. And I'm like, I'm 20 years old. Like, I don't, don't you go through this like in your teen years or something? Like, why is this plaguing me now? And literally that same weekend, I went home. My mom had information, well, letters that they had written to each other when she was pregnant with me. Um, they had the address and phone numbers and stuff. And at this point, like I said, it's 20 years ago. So I never really think that it's going to be anything current. It's his mom's address. His mom still lives at the same address, still has the same number. And he now lives, well, at the time was living with his mom. And so I went home and I called this number, literally talked to him this same weekend. You have been absent for 20 years. And I come here and I make this one call and it's just like things just started. And I was like, okay, God, what, what exactly are you doing? And where... I guess some people would think that that would seem to be the mending of a relationship. It was me feeling like I was constantly being broken because there were so many things that I had to break through and break down and yeah. things just, yeah. So um, from that point, then really having um, wished at certain times that I didn't look like because it wasn't this fairy tale. It wasn't like, oh my goodness, you know, he didn't he didn't say all of the things that I thought a person who's been missing for 20 something years should say and having to deal with um my own, I guess, the weight of it all and just everything just was a lot and it was too much and I just kind of like pulled away and I felt like I couldn't talk to him and there were things that I, I couldn't say. And so I just didn't really want to deal with it. And so one night while I was traveling, I was in a hotel and I literally, I heard Holy Spirit tell me that he wanted me to share what I felt like I couldn't share with him, with my biological father, with everybody on social media. And I was like, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I like, what did I eat? That had to be indigestion. Clearly, like you would not tell me to blast this kind of information on social media. You yeah. wouldn't like you wouldn't tell me to do that. Like what? And so until about four o'clock in the morning, I was going back and forth. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm absolutely not doing this. This is probably about 10 years after meeting him. And I was like, you know, I'm just really good on the whole like relationship. I'm just, 
it just kind of is what it is. Like, I'm not, no, he was like, no, I want you to share, share whatever it is you feel like you can't share with him, with him and do it on social media. And so I had to do 32 facts about myself and I called it, I hashtagged it, Dear John 2014. It's in 2014 and his name is actually John. So it kind of just all um, rolled in there together. And every day, for every day of my year, I was 32 at the time, I shared a fact about myself. And those were the hardest 32 days that I probably ever had to roll through. Mm one of he took me through a couple of 30-day situations but yeah that one definitely stood out yeah wow you know um we we share that part of our story because that my mom married the man who is who I call my dad when I was like I don't know four or so and he legally adopted me and gave me his name and everything I never knew my biological father And, uh, same, same thing. Like he was a good dad. He adopted me. He took me as his own. He gave me his name. He cared for me. I mean, he, he is for all intents and purposes. This man is my father, Absolutely. Um, but it wasn't until I was in my late twenties again, like I thought I was good. I'm past all this stuff. When all of a sudden I had my own breaking not too long ago. And it was the same thing. I had to go through this breaking of realizing that there was something internal. And, you know, I think about the fact that we are children of God. I preach this all the time. The Bible doesn't say that we are the adults of God. It says that we are the children of God. And as his children, a lot of times there is that inner child in us that needs healing. And all the times when I thought that I had healed something, the truth was I had just grown up and I had had grown past it and covered it up. When the reality was I hadn't dealt with it, didn't even realize it needed to be dealt with. And then all of a sudden here I am, you know, almost 30 and I find myself in a therapist's office just (laughs) sobbing like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm realize that I'm still trying to please everybody around me and make them happy so that they don't abandon me and reject me because for some reason I am still hanging <laughs> to this lie of rejection and abandonment that I didn't even know was there. It, happened to, oh my goodness. it is such a breaking and gosh, what a, what a way that the enemy tries to get us to, you know, in, in, with broken families and absent fathers. I mean, any way that he can make us believe that God is not a good, good father. Yes. He's going to do it. Um, and it is, it's such a breaking process and the healing journey. It is just that it's such a journey, but I love how obediently and boldly you walked through that and what that has given to other people. Cause I think, you know, as leaders, transparency is such a hard thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like for us, especially as leaders, because we have to have it all together, right? right? We have to have the answers and we got to have everything all put together because if we don't, people are going to see that what we don't really know what we're talking about. And, you know, just the idea that culturally is perpetuated that leaders have to have it all together all the time, got to have all the right answers, right. everything's got to be good. And it's just not true. It's and not, it's so not true. humans. We're humans and we need to be human. So, what have you seen as the as the fruit of that because naturally our culture would tell us that when you are that out there and that transparent 
that people aren't going to be able to respect you or trust you or look up to you. They're not going to follow you because you obviously don't have it all together. But we know that that's a lie because so many of the things that we need to heal from and speak out, it's it's that. The enemy wants things covered up. He mm-hmm. wants them kept in the dark. He doesn't want us to bring it out into the light. Uh, and as leaders, I think there's so much that we believe that cultural lie without realizing that there's a spiritual ramification to it as well. Absolutely. When we believe that cultural lie of you got to have it all together. You know, you got to be put together all the time. The spiritual ramification is that there are some things that we are keeping hidden in the dark that the Lord says, no, you need to bring those things into the light. Mm -hmm. That's where the healing is. And that's where truth is. That's where the real power is. And so what some of the fruit that you've seen, not only in your own life and leadership, but just in the people around you that are following you, um, as a result of this, this journey of transparency. Um, I think, uh, one of the most moving aspects as far as seeing the fruit from it was to have other people who are leaders see the need to show people their scars Mm -hmm. and to pull off masks and to, um, dismantle the lie that I have it all together and I don't have any issues or even that I'm healed from everything that might have happened you know just almost kind of I'll tell you a little bit of my story but I'll tell you the piece that I'm fully over and not really sharing the part that is really going to bless somebody that's really going to free somebody else I think one of the hardest things that I had to share during those um, 32 days was the fact that I had been molested Mm. And I had so many women leaders reach out to me just saying how that freed them because they had been carrying the shame from what was done to them and how it was affecting their ministry and how it was affecting their ability to minister to certain people and in certain ways because they had been holding on to that and how my boldness to just confront that and put it out there and tell people, yes, this happened. No, it was not my fault. Yes, you know, I can be healed from this. And no, I don't have to live under, you know, this umbrella of shame to where I never have to speak about it again, because that is the enemy's way of keeping you bound to this thing. So just having so many of them reach out to me and just say how it just really shed light on their own situations and how they were able to truly be free from it um, was probably one of the most fruitful things that I probably could have seen because I really, I I did not, I didn't expect it. It wasn't like Um, when God gave me those instructions, he was like, you know, I want you to tell this, or I want you to give these facts. And this is what I'm going to do when you do this. I had no idea, you know, what would it, what it would look like on the other side, you know, and, um, people could have easily been like, she's just doing this because she wants attention or, you know, she was just doing this because she wants followers. We know people are doing all kinds of crazy stuff with followers. Um, And so I didn't know, I didn't know how it would be received or what it would look like. And so to, to be obedient, even not knowing what it would look like and how it would be received and to see people 
not just blessed. It's, it's, it's wonderful when people are blessed by, you know, what I share, what I do, but people who are really set free because I know what it feels like to be bound when people reach out and was like, this really freed me. Like it literally, it humbles me to the point where I'm just like on my knees in tears. Um, so that was, that, that one is definitely something that I carry with me and it, it nudges me in times when I really hesitate with being obedient with what he's asking me to do yeah, to remember what he's done before. Yeah. Could you have ever expected the response that you saw the way that people were set free and heal? I mean, was there any part of your mind that, that thought, okay, maybe this is what God's going to do? I know. I, and I think, well, not to the extent I thought maybe, you know, there's somebody else out here who has a daddy issue who, you know, might be able to relate and maybe it will, you know, help them to maybe even go have a conversation with their dad. I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is about the ministry of reconciliation. So maybe some people are going to go and maybe they're going to have great relationships with their dads from what I shared, but I had people writing me, about their moms. I had people writing me about, you know, um, step parents or bonus parents. I had people just, I had people who had no issues with either one of their parents who pulled things from what I was sharing that I never, I was looking like, uh, I don't think I even would have ever got that from yeah. what I wrote, but just, it was just crazy for lack of a better word, how God used Exact, you know, just what I shared and was mm-hmm. pulling and tugging on different places in people's hearts that seemingly had nothing to do with what I shared, but it was just bringing them to a place of healing and wholeness. And I was just like, I, I never could have done that. Like, never. I really think what I have a sense that what you're sharing right now is setting some people free for those who are going to be listening. I really, really strongly feel that there's going to be at least one, if not multiple people who are in a similar place, who are feeling that tug to share and to share their story and to share their testimony, but have the doubts and the uncertainties and just hearing what you're saying right now and hearing how God can use that is just setting them free. And so I just want to say, you know, right now, even as we're talking that whoever that is, you know, if you're listening to this and you feel like this is the confirmation and the affirmation that you have been waiting for to take that step of faith and to share whatever it is that the Lord is telling you to share that know that there will be fruit and that there is power and that there are hearts waiting to be touched. And that it's a, it's an honor and a privilege to be the vessel that God uses to work in those kind of ways. So and if that's you, definitely uh, email us and, and let us know. We'd love to hear your story and be praying for you in that process for sure. Yeah. Um, and so something else that you mentioned, you know, you said in the midst of all this, that of course, you're also not just like sharing everything wide open. How do we walk that line of transparency with wisdom and discernment? What does that look like to know like, okay, yes, I can share. And to make sure that we're doing it one for the right reasons to Mm -hmm. watch and to guard our own hearts and to know that we're doing it for the right reason. And, and also just figuring out, okay, well, how, how far do I go and and how do I walk that fine line um, and stay on the right side of it? What does that look like for you? Um, it's funny because I actually had somebody to ask me something similar the other day. They asked me if I had any boundary to what I would share. And at first I was like, uh, well, I 
mostly only share what he tells me to share. Like I never just go out on my own and try and figure out, oh, I'm going to tell this about myself. There's always a prompting that I feel um, to share certain things. And the the things that are pretty much off limit um, uh, come when they spill over into other people's stories. And so um, we mentioned my husband. I'm far more public uh, with things than my husband. He's a little more on the private side. So a lot of people, if you see, I have to occasionally go and put up pictures of the whole of us because people start to think that it's just me and the girls. But it's just because I, um, I know how private he is. He doesn't share as much on social media and I respect that. And then he also knows the ministry that I have to be transparent and he respects that. So I know... Um, that in sharing things, I'm never going to share anything that makes him uncomfortable, that puts him out there, that would cause um, him to be offended by something that I shared that he didn't want to share. So that's always a boundary for me um, when it spills over into, you know, what I share in my home is typically uh, my experiences with me and the girls. And sometimes he'll even have those moments. I, I can't call them dad because it doesn't, you know, have the same feel or whatever. But sometimes there are things that the girls will say or do. Um, and he's just like, oh, my goodness. So he he has the same thing. And sometimes I'll share those because it stays in line with what the ministry is that God has given me. But I would never like if there was an issue or a disagreement or something that we share in our house or that we have in our house. And then we get this great revelation from it. Nine times out of 10, I'm not going to go and share that on social media because I respect, you know, um, I respect his privacy. And then there are also parts of my story that spill over into my mom's story that she's never shared before and that she's never, you know, really um, expressed to other people. And there are actually parts that I feel could really, really bless somebody. Um, but because she has never shared that part, I don't feel that it's my place to put that out there and then expose her before she's ready to share. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are also pieces of my story that I don't, that I don't share out of respect for other people. So I don't, I feel that it's wise to, um, to have boundaries where you don't feel like you can share everything, um, especially if it's going to be at the offense, I mean, um, at the expense of offending somebody or telling something that should remain, you know, confidential. If it's something that you shared with somebody or somebody shared with you in confidence um, that you would expose that because you feel like it's going to bless somebody else. I don't think that God really nudges us to, to do that. I think there is a way um, to share what he uh what he gives you to share that would not you know blast somebody else mm-hmm. yeah that's good that's so good i love how the heart and focus of your boundaries is about guarding and protecting those around you mm-hmm. being being open handed with your story the way that god has called you to but also understanding that that was for you from mm-hmm. god and that was not necessarily for every person Absolutely. That's so good. That's good. Um, and so 
that, so two things that you said, transparency and servanthood. I want to talk a little bit about the servanthood aspect of things. Okay. Um, so when you say servanthood is what you bring to the table, and I love that what you bring to the leadership table is servanthood, because again, culturally, those two don't go hand in hand, that if you're the leader, you're the leader, and mm-hmm. there are those who follow you and serve your vision. Um, but I mean, the, the true heart, if we look at the model and the way of Jesus, the true heart of leadership is servanthood. And so I love that that's what you're bringing. So talk to me about that. What does that mean to you? Why does that matter? Um, it, it means, <laughs> it means so much to me that I often have to, um, sit down with God to, hear him speak over me again, who I am, because that means so much to me. I could get lost in that and thinking that that is just who I am, you know, and and think that that's almost kind of like the sum total of who I am and just kind of nix out all of the other stuff. And so I'm like, you know, that's what's like, what, who is Nika? She's a helper. And it's like, okay, well, there there are other things there, but it, um, it means so much because so often we hear, just like you said, culturally, we are taught to think of ourselves first. Mm-hmm. Go for you, you know, do what you have to do, bump everybody else. You got to go for yours. And God has elevated me, not because I was so gung ho about going after something for myself but because I was content to help lift up somebody else because I was content to stand in the background and make sure that all of the, you know, eyes were dotted and all of the T's were crossed and to help really be a spotlight for somebody else's platform. And he used that very thing to really to, to build a platform for me. And I, I, I've connected with so many people who were made to feel less than because they were, they felt like they were called to serve or so many people who felt less than because they were an assistant and, you know, the world around us now is telling us, you got to be a boss, you a boss, you know, boss mom and the boss this and a boss that. And um, when you say the word assistant, it made people feel second class or you got to play second fiddle and like it doesn't measure up. And being in that position well, as a as a personal assistant and people greeting people in that manner and being that person and um, owning it and shining in it and being OK with it and being bold in it gave other people the bold. Like, you know what? it is, it's cool to serve somebody else. Like it's, it's not like, I don't, I don't have to, you know, be the, the head person. Like there is an importance to, to who I am. And in this place where I'm called to serve and I can only rely like on the scripture. Like he tells us the greatest of these are those who serve like to make it I mean serving to me like I think he used me to make serving attractive again Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And to validate that as a form of leadership. I can't tell you how many people who are in a second chair role that I've you know, talked to or worked with or coached who wouldn't have called themselves a leader and who felt that their role wasn't as important, wasn't as valuable, wasn't validated, that their voice didn't matter, and that they needed to be striving and achieving to eventually be the head person. And there was this pressure that they were putting on themselves, but it was coming from the culture and the world around that said, Hey, eventually you need to be the head person. You need to be in the first chair. And that was so stressful and discouraging, not only because it invalidated the service, the leadership that they already had, but also because they said, see, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the head person. I am so wired by God to be in the role that I'm in right now. I don't want to feel like I have to build a platform or fight to be the head or eventually work my way into the first chair. I'm perfectly okay where I am. It would be really great if the rest of the world was okay with me being who I am, where I am, and validated my leadership. And having to walk through that process, it's, man, it's a journey. It is such a journey. I think one of the Oh man, one of the most beautiful uh, visions of it that God showed me during that um, during that stint of time where I was actually traveling as a personal assistant that I kind of used to help uh, other people in that area was actually the spotlight, how so many people are running for the spotlight, but some of us are called to actually be the spotlight, the actual spotlight that shines down. So I just use um, my cousin and I as an example, you know, she traveled all across the world ministering. So she's on stages and, you know, up in on platforms and in pulpits uh, day in and day out. And so she's always, you know, the one that's, that's being seen. And some people like, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want, I'm like, no, that's not my area. I'm not called to be in the spotlight right now. I'm called to be the spotlight. So my job was to shine where she went to do whatever I needed to do to make sure that the light was on the right place to, you know, for her, for the ministry that God wanted to use inside of her. Yep. To be seen so that he could be glorified. Because if you're chasing after the spotlight, when you're not called to be in the spotlight, you're not doing so to give glory to God. You're doing it to be seen. Mm, That's good. And can we also just validate to do what you did to be the spotlight, to be that person that operates in that role, especially at the level that you were doing, it requires massive leadership skills. It is its own form of leadership and it is so, so, so valid. And I just, again, for anyone listening that is in a second chair role who says, I'm perfectly cool being here. Like, let's just celebrate that for a minute Mm -hmm. and let's validate the leadership that you have. And I think it's important to, to call it leadership because our words are so powerful. And when we receive and accept something as our identity, that's when we actually live into it. I remember Mm -hmm. for the longest time, I would not call myself a writer, partially because I didn't understand the difference between being a writer and an author. And so I felt like, well, it's a little misleading for me to say that I'm a writer when I haven't actually published a book yet. When Mm -hmm. the reality was I was writing content, I was writing curriculum, I was writing blog posts, I was writing a weekly newsletter. You know, I was using this gift that God gave me. Right. Also because I was scared. 
I, I didn't really know what that would mean for me. And, and am I actually qualified? And imposter syndrome was coming into play. And well, does it sound arrogant for me to say that I'm a writer? But finally, one day, what God had to convict me on was, Sion, if you don't say you're a writer, you're never going to take on the responsibility to write. Mm-hmm. You don't say, you, if you don't accept and receive the fact that I have gifted and designed you as a writer, you're not going to write. If you don't think you're a leader, you're not going to lead. And so without even meaning to, it's almost like it's this passive way of us kind of abdicating our throne that we're supposed to be sitting on, giving up our authority, taking mm-hmm. our hands off of our responsibility because, oh, well, I'm not a leader, so I don't really need to think about stewarding my influence. Oh, I'm not a writer, so it's no big deal that I'm not writing when the reality is, look, what God said is this is who you are and this is what you're called to. And so the sooner that we can grab onto those roles, I think, and say, you know what, in the role, in the seat that I'm sitting in right now, whether it's first, second, third, fourth, fifth chair or otherwise, I am a leader. Mm -hmm. We actually walk in the fullness of the identity that we've been given and steward the influence that we have. Absolutely. So what, um, what has that looked like for you now? Cause you said one of the things that you do is you mentor the assistants to the assistants. You know, that's what you said. Your role is right now providing assistance to the assistants. Um, what kind of transformation have you seen in that process? What's some of the fruit, some of the stories of those who have really just been validated and affirmed and really seen their leadership grow because you were able to say, Hey, your servanthood matters. I think, um, it's funny because (laughs) I, um, I was so comfortable in my role of serving, um, that when I came out of the actual role of being a personal assistant and God wanted to use me to teach, that was where I shrunk back. That was where I'm not a teacher. Like I'm a, I'm a servant. Like I can do it. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to teach it. So that has, that was like pulling teeth. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to have to answer for that one. I'm I'm, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, and I just kind of wanted to run a, you know, well, I can share a nugget here or there, but I don't actually want to be given that role of teacher. And once um, I just, you know, kind of was running from it, it was like people started running towards me. And so I just kind of, it like fell in my lap. I wasn't even trying to do it. They just, they lashed on. And literally they, I had two consistently that would annoy me. And they were like, I'm I'm not going to leave you alone until like you do this. And one of the two, um, she uh, actually ended up serving somebody who broke her. Mm. Just literally used their words to spew such negativity about um, who she was and the job that she did and how incapable that incapable she was that she just stopped, she stopped doing it. And, you know, for some people, if that was just something that they did, that might've been okay. But because I knew that that was something she really felt that God had called her to, for her to not do it because of something that somebody spoke over her was crushing for me. And so that was kind of the thing that nudged me back in place. And, um, I told her, you know, 
Don't ever, even though this is something that God called you to do, don't ever let what you do become mixed up with who you are. And if somebody tries to attack what you do, don't you take that on as a cloak of who you are. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, if we look and one thing that God used to always encourage me was in the beginning when he was creating all of these things and putting the world, the entire world in place, he created, you know, he, he said, let there be light, but he called the light day. So light shines and it gives day and all of this brightness and beautifulness, but he calls it day. So even though, you know, you're, you're shining and that's what you're doing, it's not who you are. So Mm. when you can't, you know, when somebody is attacking the things that you have done, you remember who God calls you, you know, and she took that and she ran with it. And I've seen her rebuild a brand and just really um, connect. She's connecting with churches to help build their teams and build them in, in different areas of servanthood and just really kind of bounced back and gotten on the grind to really do what it is that God has placed in her heart to do. And I think that's probably the thing that was like, okay, I, I, I know I don't fully want to do it this way, but again, you, you've seen what God does through your obedience and it's not just about you. So, um, you sh- you should probably go ahead and tap in. So that's pro- that the fruit of that. And just even having people reach out to say, I want to be a better servant. Mm-hmm. Have people say, I want to be able to, you know, serve people better and love people better because it, it's love. If you can serve somebody with a pure heart, that is like, Oh my goodness. I know such a such an expression of love. Yeah. And to have people still, you know, not saying, "Hey, how did you do this with your business?" or "Hey, you know, how did you become this person in business?" but to have people reach out and say, "Hey, I serve here at my church or I serve this person. I would really love to connect with you and find out ways that I can be better at serving." I don't think there's anything greater. Mm, That's so good. That's so, then let me ask you this to wrap things up. And I know I didn't ask you to really prepare this, so I'm just going to throw it at you. Sorry. (laughs) What are some, for someone who is in that type of a role where that's a a second chair, maybe backgrounds, you know, be the spotlight type of role. And they really want to begin walking more in just owning their identity, owning their leadership in the form of servanthood, um, stewarding that well, being just fully confident that this is where God has called me and this is where I'm supposed to be. And it is no better or worse than any other position that it is more than enough. What are some of the real practical things that you might encourage them to begin doing? One thing is just really confessions, like audibly speaking, you know, this is where God has me. I am meant to be here. I'm here for a purpose. And if this is what he has called me to do, if this is the place that he's called me to lead in, then I'm going to be the best at it. And no one is going to make me feel any less about what he's called me to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And to just um, block out the noise, because sometimes that is the thing that will throw you off in, in this area when you 
And sometimes it's not what's said to you. Some stuff you can just pick up just from here and sometimes just blocking out the noise so that you can stay focused on what it is that you have to do. And you, if you um, tune into what you have to work on and what you're called to do and don't have time to even entertain the other stuff, it helps to keep you at a place of balance where you don't feel so insignificant. Com- stop comparing. Yeah. I guess. Um, one thing that I can say. Um, another practical piece. Um, this is it's it's scripture, um, and this is the thing that helped me probably the entire time. This is something that my grandma instilled into me: is just everything that you do, you do it unto God. Mm-hmm. And um, when you hit those moments where even the person that you're serving, you know, because people are human and they have bad days and sometimes they might treat you as if you are, you know, you're just, your role is really just to, to help me. You have to remember that, okay, God put me here. Then my service here is unto God. And it kind of keeps you focused when you would want to quit or, you know, and it keeps you integral. Um, it helps keep your character intact because you have to remember, um, okay, this work that I'm doing, yes, I'm called to serve here. Yes, I'm called to, you know, be in this position, but this is unto God. So I'm even here, I'm serving God. And I always would hinge the two, you know, do it unto God and serve the Lord with gladness. Yeah. And to... Um, to not feel like he gave you scraps. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. And so then on the flip side of that, what would you say to the person who is leading from the spotlight or from a first chair position? What are some of the things that you would say to encourage them, some of the practical tips that you might give them to validate and affirm the people who happen to be serving with them? say thank you. Say thank you and mean it. Because um, when you're in that position and you are constantly doing, 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 making sure this is done, making sure this is done. And, you know, the hustle and bustle of work, sometimes everybody is just doing their own thing in their own place. And it can seem like a thankless job. Like you're doing so much and nobody really cares. Like you're giving your all and you're pouring everything that you have into this and nobody really cares. Almost as if um, you start to feel like people are like entitled to what you do. And that kind of starts that whole insignificant, you know, feeling of, I don't even want to do this because nobody cares. To have a leader see what you do, see the effort that you put in and say, Thank you. Thank you for it. Literally, when you're called to do that and just hearing thank you doesn't even have to be a gift, doesn't have to be, you know, a raise, a a heartfelt thank you so much will literally cause the person who is serving you to go 10 times harder because they feel appreciated. And just that, you know, it, it, it. not even a whole lot of words of affirmation, like, oh my goodness, like the way you did that was so amazing. Sometimes you don't need, like, I mean, people, if that's their love language, maybe that means extra, but literally a thank you yeah. goes such a long way. And to remember that the people who serve you have feelings and lives and 
X, Y, and Z. And so to not get so caught up on, um, I need you here for my stuff that you don't realize when they need something from you. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. I feel like you just dropped a ton of wisdom on us today and, uh, I appreciate it. I really do. And, and I think, I think there were some moments in our conversation where, um, where God was really speaking. I really feel like some of the things that you said and shared are going to bring some breakthrough. Um, and that's what I love about, that's what I love about the way God works is we can have a conversation and someone else can listen to it and and he can mm-hmm. just be doing what he does. So so good. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. So I was going to say so transparently, but because that's exactly <laughs> who you are and what you do. So just for your vulnerability and your transparency, and I want to make sure that people know how to connect with you. So we'll have all that in the show notes. I want to get them connected to transparent moments. And obviously the work that you do, anybody who's listening, who needs some mentoring and coaching, um, who's in a second chair position, man, hit Shanika up because she has got some amazing experience, but even more so some really incredible wisdom to share. So thank you. I know you got life and work and babies and all these <laughs> things. And so the fact that you would sit down and take time to chat with us is I'm, I'm really, truly honored. Oh, thank you, Zion. This means a lot more than you know. Thanks for listening to the Table Leadership Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the resources that were discussed at the table today and to connect with today's guest. Remember to subscribe to The Table Podcast and follow along on social media at The Table Leadership. Visit thetableleadership.com to learn more about current courses and coaching opportunities. And finally, you can connect with me, your host, at cionedgerton.com or on social media at cionedgerton. I look forward to the next time that you pull up a seat at the table.